This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Tonight is episode seven, Gimme Shelter. Before we begin the podcast, I do want to, as I do every week, remind listeners that this is not an AA meeting, but it is intended to be my form of service to the recovery community, and perhaps it is just that moment of comfort that you can find if you're alone, if you're isolated, if you're somewhere. I always seem to conjure up the idea of the gate or a terminal at an airport and all you can hear are clinking glasses or disgruntled travelers maybe you just want to plug in the earphones and listen to my voice and think about your program your higher power and and how grateful we are to be in recovery and to have the beautiful life that we have this is just a supplement or a compliment to your program i'm not a therapist Um, and I'm not a doctor. I am a professional, but I am definitely not qualified to give medical advice. I am somebody who is in the program and has a number of years in the program and in, in sobriety, uninterrupted sobriety, and I do hope that my podcast is bringing some, and my tales of experience, strength, and hope are bringing some comfort to you. As a final note, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our principles and traditions, and I do ask that you respect my anonymity, and I, of course, will respect yours. And with that said, I want to just say thank you again to those people who've reached out to me. Please email me at extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com or on the internet. On Instagram, I have at Extravagant Promises Podcast. You can DM me or leave replies there. I will try to respond to any questions that you ask. And with that finally said, um, I am my my plan is to have episode number eight or nine, probably episode number nine, be a Q and A session from questions and comments that I've gotten from listeners. And then number 10 to be an interview um, with another member of the community who's been very important in my progress. Um, If it seems like it's popular and, and folks seem to dig it, then I might make that a more frequent occurrence, maybe every fourth and fifth podcast versus eighth or ninth and 10th. So tonight's episode is gimme shelter and sometimes we need a bit more strength and a bit more hope and a little less experience a little less how dark and dank and down and despair i was and maybe a little bit more how awesome life is especially now that i can see it clearly and live it clearly and live it wholeheartedly so a little more light a little more sunlight, a little more light, lightness, less weight on the shoulders perhaps tonight. 
And as I say, tonight, we dance. The Summer Day by Mary Oliver Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention. How to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I love that poem. Um, I had read it. I'm sure before, but um, a very important person in my life, an angel in my life, who happened to be a lawyer who represented me um, through some difficult times in my personal life and relationships. You know, as we closed in on the end of that process and that road, she sent me that poem. And it really made me know that she loved me. And you know who you are, and if you're listening to this, I love you. I will always love you. I think you're one of those core group of people who saved my life. And I thank you for that, and I owe you that. What are we going to do with our one precious, our one wild and precious life? I mean, I love that. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It's yours. And it's your, it's one. You don't get another one. I mean, we may, there may be reincarnation or there may be obviously an afterlife and maybe you believe, maybe you don't, whatever. That's fine. Your call, your God of your understanding, not mine. But as far as we know, this, this life is, is one. But it's wild and precious. And what are you going to do with it? What, 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 what to make it wild? Is that good? I mean, can wild be, Something that's not, you know, I, you know, I think wild and I think partying and crazy and risk and fighting or, or contest living, you know, as the great Edward Bennett Williams said. I, 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 but, but now in recovery and deep into my, you know, in, into my life, I'm in the second half, that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe deep into the second half. I don't know. Um, you know, wild means more like, foliage and, and, and breathing and the wildness of our organism and our ability and the universe. And it's just, you just realize like how crazy and just how open everything is and how we'll never, ever really be any clue about how big this is. And it's precious. It's absolutely precious. What you can feel, what you can, how you can make others feel good and bad what you can do to serve, what people do to serve you. Wild and precious. I love that poem, and I hope you do too. So in your wild and precious life, what are you singing at the top of your lungs 
when you're driving down the road and the, maybe the top is down or the windows are open, but there's no one looking. Maybe it's all, the windows are all rolled up and nobody can hear you. And you just sound, man, you sound awesome. You're just crushing it. What are you crushing? Is it Luciano Pavarotti singing uh, uh, La Donna Mobile, The Woman is Fickle from Rigoletto? Are you belting out Prince, Kiss, like Julia Roberts does in Pretty Woman? Are you are you just banging your head to some metal or some some speed metal, some death metal, some whatever kind of metal, you know, some Iron Maiden, old school? Um, what are you what are you singing at the top of your lungs in your wild and precious life? So when I said tonight we dance, I thought you know it'd be kind of cool to to take a step back and and maybe talk about instead of really analyzing deep books and things, and we'll get into a lot of these things in depth as we do, and analyzing Man's Search for Meaning, which is so precious to me, but I thought maybe I'll lighten it up a little bit, and because I think that this is a very critical part of recovery, is we have to smile. I mean, maybe you don't, you don't feel like you deserve to smile. Maybe you feel like you don't owe, own a smile right now. Okay. It'll come. Don't just keep coming back. Keep coming to the meetings. Keep working. And then you start to see people start to t- have that look like, hey, what's up? Yeah, we're in on a little secret here. It's kind of cool. So what are you listening to, you know? And having some art in your life, you know, some poetry, some paintings, some albums, some some books, some some movies, some television, you know, getting into it. What is it that, that kind of makes you smile, you know? We don't have to get too, too deep. So I thought I'd kind of just go through some of my, some of my goes without saying list, you know, stuff that I always try to, to debate the the whole, you know, you're on a desert island. <laughs> I mean, I I don't want to be on a desert island, and if if I'm on a desert island, I'm figuring that like Pink Floyd's The Wall is probably not what I need more than anything, but. You know, imagining that I do have some vinyl and I do have electricity <laughs> and I'm able to bliss, you know, um, you know, what are some of the ones you're bringing? You know, don't get too caught up in that. It's kind of like my the hypothetical we talked about when we were reading Sam Harris's book, uh, Lying. You know, well, well, do you lie to the Nazis if Anne Frank is in your attic? You know, I mean, you know, we can talk about that question when Anne Frank's in your attic and the world is dominated by Nazis. I mean, don't get, don't let these extreme hypotheticals take you away from the basic principle, which is not okay to lie. And just because you're not going to a desert island, so it doesn't mean, like, don't overthink this. Like, you can only bring one album. You can only read one book for the rest of eternity. What is it? I mean, it's cool to think about, but, I mean, the the problem that I always say is, so I've got to read that book for the rest of eternity? Like, dog, you know, it's uh, now we're going back to Sisyphus, you know, (laughs) with that rock, same rock. Okay, all right. Well, let's make it happy. So, you know, let's start with it. Let's start with some some greatest hits here. You know, when when I think of movies, books, albums, television. Um, you know, I grew up with with folks who really valued old movies. I mean, my mother was a you know, just a big time black and white movie fan, and I think it was it's kind of her form of a little bit of denial, like this is the world I wish I lived in, you know, with Myrna Loy and 
think it's Bill Powell or Powell, you know, the thin man and, uh, Dashiell Hammett and, um, the Maltese Falcon and Humphrey Bogart. And, you know, it wasn't really my speed as much, but it was cool to watch. You know, it was cool to get into that. Um, but, you know, I, I will kind of go with some classics here, in my opinion, uh, as we start off with movies. And again, I have a long list of greatest, you know, and, and on my desert island, there's not going to be room for all the stuff I want to bring. But, you know, let's start off with the with with close to numero uno is The Godfather. I mean, what an amazing movie. I would recommend, even if you've seen it a dozen times, or like me, more than a hundred times easily, I strongly recommend that you do something. If you haven't watched The Godfather, first of all, come on. It's The Godfather. You need to watch it. Um, it's an amazing movie. Unbelievable. Every aspect of it, the acting off the chart, the writing off the chart, the tale off the chart, the love, the hate, the violence, everything beautiful. The cinematography is second to none. The opening scene with Buonasera when he's the undertaker and he's talking, oh my God, so good. So here's my recommendation. Watch The Godfather. Um, then read the book The Godfather by Mario Puzo. Then watch The Godfather again. And it's going to be like you're watching an entirely different movie. Not entirely different, but I mean, you're going to be watching a movie where you're going to see things. There's a scene where Virgil Salazzo, the Turk, is selling his plan to import heroin to the Don. And there's a there's a, an exchange with Sonny and the Capo regimes, uh, Tessio and and um, Clemenza, and it's really great. You don't really understand the depth of the protocol breach until you read the book. It's just awesome. You know what I also recommend is tee up tee up like your best Italian meal when you're doing it. Like I do that when I'm watching Goodfellas or uh, Godfather. You know, like cook up some saltimbocca or you know a little. Bolognese or something. There's a great scene in The Godfather when Clemenza's teaching Michael Corleone, who's Al Pacino, how to cook for 20 guys or something like this. And he's like, you take your, you take your, your sugar, your, your white, your red wine, your, your tomato paste, you know, all this. And it's, it's really good. And, and if you haven't eaten at that point, you're going to want to stop the movie and fix some food. So do yourself a favor and eat beforehand. Godfather. Next up, Oh, I'm going to say it's Cinema Paradiso, but I think that some call it Cinema Paradiso. Um, if we want to add in a little Italian flair to it, it's a movie that is absolutely gorgeous in every way. Um, I will say that the one you want to watch is has got subtitles, so um, it is. Uh, um, just a beautiful movie. And here, there, 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 there are a couple different aspects of it that are gorgeous. Well, first, the, the again, the acting is remarkable. The story is unique and heart wrenching and uplifting. It's it's just a tale of 
it's a tale of, you know, it's it's kind of like they say there there are only two stories ever told. Stranger comes to town and man goes on a journey. <laughs> this is this is kind of like boy goes on a journey and the journey is called life. And it's the story of a man and a a boy and a and a man. You know, a boy who's lost his father in war in World War One or World War Two. I think it's World War Two actually. Um and how he's essentially raised by in the cinema, you know, in the movie theater by and 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 his life as it pertains to movies and it's just oh boy it'll make you cry it'll make you laugh it'll make you love it'll make you love everything and and the the music is by Ennio Morricone who was one of the great composers of the 20th century in terms of movie scores and a lot of a lot of great i think he did the mu- music for the spaghetti westerns um and uh some of the Clint Eastwood movies but Definitely did it for cinema parodies. So and it's one of the, it's a beautiful score. I mean, you could just listen to the music and you'll recognize it because they use it in a lot of commercials and things like that. But cinema parodies. So and there's just this one. There, I mean, there's so many great scenes. I'm just off the hook where you're, you just it's so romantic. You know, I mean, the ending scenes are like man. I'm so lucky I saw this. <laughs> That's how you feel. But um but the there's a scene in it where the young boy has now grown up to be kind of like a teenager and he's in love. And he tells this he hears this story of a soldier who sat outside the window of his beloved for, you know, years until she opened the windows and all this. And there's just this great scene where he decides that's what he's going to do. And he's, he's, it's just, it's just beautiful. And it's, it's the way that they've show this. That's just all the scenes make you just want to fall in love. You know, it makes you want to be romantic and, and, and live your life. Cause it's, it's just so gorgeous and it's so simple and it's not fancy or, or complicated, and it's about life. And I uh, really highly recommend that. The third movie I, I was going to talk about was Fight Club, but um, that's a whole different kettle of fish. I mean, I'm a big-time fan, but I'm going to skip that one, actually. We'll come back to that maybe later because that's got a big part of my story, and it's obviously there's a lot of 12 steps in all of, well, certainly in that book. Um but I'm going to go back and I'm going to say um, really, really strongly encourage the, the, the movie North by Northwest. And um, this is a, such a cool movie because it's kind of a caper, a little bit comedic, but also a thriller. And it, involve, it, it stars, you know, probably, you know, the world's greatest, greatest movie star or sexiest man alive kind of thing ever was Cary Grant. I mean, just a man, you know, what a great, great actor and, a, and just a, a screen presence and a lesser known, but very still accomplished, uh, actress, um, named Eva Marie Saint. And she is just gorgeous and a great actor. And so in, in, in most plays and screenplays, there's a concept called stasis intrusion launch. And if you read some of the books upon which, and, and, and uh, North by Northwest is a Hitchcock film, 
So you've got this amazing director, you've got an amazing story, you've got amazing actors, and it's beautifully set. It was a big budget production, and it's just awesome. And um, the cool thing about it is this, this notion is that if you watch a movie called The 39 Steps, which is one of Hitchcock's earliest movies, black and white, just completely... Um, you know, crackly when you watch it, but it takes place in England. And the, the, it was based on a book um, by a guy named John Buchan. And he wrote these things called the Buchan novels or the, um, uh, there's a series of, of novels that he wrote. Maybe they're not the Buchan novels anyway, but it's John Buchan. And, and um, the 39 steps basically follows this concept of, you're, you have stasis. You know, here's a guy who's a little bit out of his element or he's in some situation. There's an intrusion where somebody gets killed and he gets framed for the killing. Now, this is like in the 1920s or the 30s when they made the 39 steps. And he has to go. So remember what we talked about? Man goes on a journey. He has to go on a journey essentially to clear his name. So he, everybody thinks he murdered this person, which he didn't. And in order to clear his name and secure his freedom, he has to uncover an international conspiracy. So, I mean, you name the movie, Mission Impossible, they're all based on the same framework. You know, within the first few minutes, there's an intrusion, um, and and it, the, the, the hero has to go on his journey in order to clear his name, but at the same time, in order to clear it, he has to do justice for the world, and it's epic, and it's awesome. And The 39 Steps is a train ride, and um, takes place on a train, and all these different parts of it, and, and takes him across the country in, into Scotland. And North by Northwest is essentially the exact same story, exact same basis. It's just set with Cary Grant, and it starts in New York City. And there's a also, like the 39 Steps, a comedic side to it that's just really great. So, um, so there's a, so so it's a it's a really awesome movie that'll capture your attention if you just pay attention to it and let yourself feel the 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 cinema, um, uh, the texture, you know, the great film rather than digital, but that warmth and the colors and the cool, you know, these cool images that, that, and, and photography that Hitchcock was so good at, um, different scenes like with the porters and things and the, and the, and the luggage and all on the train, just great. But there's this one scene among many that are beautiful where Cary Grant helps Eva Marie Saint light her cigarette and, I've always believed that that scene is one is 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 the sexiest scene I've ever seen on movies or film or television, and no one is actually touching. They're just their hands are touching, and no one's naked, and no one's having sweaty and ripping clothes off or anything. But it is so damn sexy. That's all I can say about it. I mean, it's just the way he lights the cigarette and the way she blows out the match is just, it's understated, it's elegant, and it's like, wow, that is cool. They took some time to film that and make it right, and it's just, you know, maybe maybe you'll watch it and be like, you know, whatever, no, you know, let's get to the part where they shoot somebody or, you know, blow something up or or get naked, you know, um, which they don't in those days, um, but, but uh but I think that it's just an awesome movie, and it's really fun, and it's and it's cool. Um, 
and and when I hit this topic again, I'll I'll throw some other ones in there, like you know, like Fight Club, like the Philadelphia story, like Philadelphia, um, like Gallipoli, uh, Breaker Morant, the movies like that. But I'm not going to get into those too much. Just want to hit hit the Godfather, Cinema Paradiso, and North by Northwest. Do yourself a favor. Your weekend's taken care of. You you know you're wondering what am I going to put on when my boyfriend comes over. One of those movies you're you're good to go. Those are awesome. You know, just like you're entertained for several hours. You know, hey, what do I? Hey, I'm you know I'm I'm got some downtime. Download that movie and watch it, and uh, and try to get it with like where you can see somewhere where you can really watch it. So let's talk about some books that I might bring to that proverbial desert island or better still like if you've got that flat in New York or the hotel room where you've got a couple days to spend um this is a tough one because I love books and I read a lot of books but I don't read quickly so a lot of times I'm reading a lot of books at once and that's a bummer because I'd like to be able to focus but I also love fiction and biographies, and I don't read enough of them because I'm always reading self-help books, and you know I feel like I'm I'm Owen Wilson's character in uh, Wedding Crashers, where it's like I'm reading "Don't Kill Yourself" books. Yeah, I mean it's I get a little bit caught up in that, um, but you know fiction is so important because it just it lets us you know you're never alone when you're with a good book. You're just, you're out there and you just, you know, and you can't be drunk when you're reading. You can't be high when you're, you got to be focused and present and you're in that book and it's just lost in a good book. Wow. What a great feeling that is. So when I was, uh, you know, about 21, 22, um, I think I was, yeah, maybe 20, 21, somewhere in there in college, eight, late, late college years, um, my dad handed me a paperback that was about like a, it was as thick as like a football and um and he handed it to me and he said read this and then let's talk and I'll never forget it because it was so damn darn cool you know that I just liked it when he did stuff like that you know like read this and then let's talk like we were going to have a meeting uh we were going to have a meeting of the minds about the importance of this novel and I had learned that this novel had had won the Pulitzer Prize or been what awarded the Pulitzer Prize and um, or some you know in a lot of awards, and it was also the elder George Bush's favorite novel, and it's a book called Lonesome Dove. And again, if you've seen the miniseries, the the, the all star cast miniseries with Tommy Lee Jones and. Robert Duvall and Angelica Houston and uh, uh, Ricky Schroeder and a lot of other people, Danny Glover, I mean, you name it, they were in it. It is awesome. But again, this is like a 1200 page book or something. It needs to be read. And I don't care if you like Westerns. I don't care if you like, if you don't like um, long period pieces read this book and then email me that you didn't like it. I mean, you talk about man goes on a journey. This is two, essentially like two brothers. They're not blood brothers, but they're former Texas Rangers who go on a journey of a lifetime with their friends and their enemies and everything. And, and, and it's just, I mean, it gets you right from the get go. 
and it doesn't stop. And it's a beautiful novel in every aspect of it. I think it's one of my favorite novels. And I just, I probably might just go have to read it again. Even though I've read it a couple times, I've seen that miniseries, which was awesome a number of times. But, you know, Captain Call and Augustus McRae, and you just sit there and you think, you just think about life and, and, and the cool scenes um, in there. Lonesome Dove. Absolutely strong book and really, really a great read. And again, please, some of you may be like, I don't like Westerns or I don't like period pieces or I don't want it. It's too long. I mean, just give it a try. And, you know, there's a movie that I wanted to put on my list and I will be on future. It's called Dangerous Liaisons. And I remember when my best friend who passed away, you know, 25, 28, close to 30 years ago, he said, Let's watch Dangerous Liaisons. And I said, I don't need to watch a movie with a, you know, about French people in costumes and wigs and things like that. And he said, I promise you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna identify with one of the main characters in this movie. And I know which one it is, but why don't you watch and find out? And it turned out to be one of my favorite movies of all time. So Lonesome Dove, read it. Another book, and this was an easier book to read. Um, it's only, it's un, I think it's under 200 pages, and it's, it was, it's the book Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. And before you get all, that's a Bond movie, or I saw the movies, or Bond book, Ian Fleming had a very interesting history and career. And he, when he wrote Casino Royale, I believe that it was designed to be a one-off novel, just a really cool mystery novel and a spy novel. But one that, you know, that would be that. But it was so wildly popular. Um, and he gained a lot of success from it that he followed it up with others that are quite good. But if you like detective novels of what are called the hard-boiled fiction, um, and that's a term that comes from works that were produced in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you know, uh, the kind of Dashiell Hammett, Ross MacDonald, um, uh, Mickey Spillane, that type, you know, we, we know where we're talking about the, um, I could list off all those great writers and, and characters, um, you know, the continental op spare writing, very Hemingway esque in a way that, you know, no, not, a, not, no, no sentence has too many words in it. You know, it's very spare and Spartan and, and hard hitting. And that's why I call it hard boiled, you know, like gritty, wool you know like a hard-boiled kind of wool um you just think about that these you know detectives that are you know like gritty life post-depression or during the depression um and then you get into the kind of that whole pulp fiction aspect of it too where you know women are called dames and malls and you know men are called you know, chumps and blokes and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but it's got, a, it's got a real edge to it. Casino Royale is, is like that, except take it and place it in the British Secret Service and in the Cold War. And, you know, the, here's, here's a little tidbit for you. Bond, you get to know who Bond is. And it's a psychological thriller. And guess what? He does not kill a single person in the book. Um. And it is, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's a heartbreaking book, you know, and, and it's, 
and, and I'll tell this story is that I remember when I saw the movie, I was very nervous about seeing the movie because this is one of my all time favorite books is Casino Royale. And I thought, you know, this is going to be where they really butcher it. And actually they did a phenomenal job of making a modern depiction of that story and who Bond was. But, you know, this was a civil servant who is cold inside, but obviously there's a human being there, and he's sent to do something, and the stakes are high, and he has to pay a lot of prices for his involvement. And it's just, it's rough, it's tough, but it is smooth and beautiful at the same time. Casino Royale, quick read. I mean, you can knock this one off in a day and a half easily, but you're going to want to go back and read it right again because it's so tight and just so spare in the language. I just love it. And the last scene, whoo, you talk about some hard-boiled emotion, the way he conveys <clears throat> about Vesper. Um, yeah. Um, so the last part about books that I'll give is um, not a book but two short stories that I would commend for your reading pleasure that, you know, we're having a little fun. We're dancing tonight. All right. The first is called Winter Dreams by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it's my favorite Fitzgerald story. And it's just, it's about love lost. You know, it's about, it's about the, the, you know, it's about what your how things are and how things and how you want things to be. I think we call those normative and descriptive, but it's like how things are and how you want them to be. And 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 the dreams that you you know when we're kids, when we're young, when you know we build these dreams and these hopes of our life and 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 it's really based on false narratives and emotion. Fat feelings aren't facts, you know. But we live that and 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 kind of like this, you know, they, those two phrases, there's one you can never go home again. And then the other one is don't drink with your heroes. Well, those are true, you know, because the idea is that, you know, when you drink with your heroes, which none of us drink, obviously, but, you know, the concept is you see them with their shroud down or their, their you know, the kimono open, so to speak, and it's not pretty. It's like, and, and the veneer, you know, the shine is off the apple, so to speak. And then you got the don't, you can't go home again because, you know, or, or there's, I think, a Hindu proverb or, or, saying it says you know when the you you never go in the same river you never go in the river twice because it's not the same river and you're not the same man or woman so winter dreams is a short story again 15 20 minutes to read it half an hour i don't know i mean it's good and it's it's awesome i know i keep saying awesome over and over again but i'm trying not to say epic so much i say that too much it's fantastic. Old school, one of the great American writers ever. And, um, you know, and you always get, hey, read The Great Gatsby, This Side of Paradise. Is, you know, um, yeah, sure. And I totally agree. But um, Winter Dreams is a little, there's one. And there's some other stories we'll talk, we can talk about later. If anybody really likes this podcast, I'll, yeah, we'll do some more. Um, the other one is, uh, it's called The Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber by Ernest Hemingway. And it's, it's a tough read, not tough to read, but it's, it's like, it'll, it'll, it'll reach inside and grab you and it'll, it'll, it'll take you by the shoulders and say, are you paying attention? 
because you just feel that it's it is the short happy life where you're like this this man who like a lot of us you know he's living a life of he's a fake but he doesn't always have to be you know he can be a hero and he can feel what it's like to be authentic and no matter if it's a minute or if it's a lifetime he can feel courage and he can feel the you know, that 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 sense of truth and unvarnished brutal self-awareness it's awesome and the, and again these 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 writers are so good because the you know these tales that they tell you could say all that in a paragraph or two but the thing is the way they said it the setting, you know, for winter dreams, it's this Minnesota or, you know, this, this northern kind of resort town that is, you know, death in the winter, just covered in snow. And then the summer, it's a golf resort. And, all. and then Francis McCumber, it's on the plains of, of Kenya or Tanzania, you know, in Africa on a safari. And it's just, you just feel, you feel every single emotion there. So good. All right. So in summary, again, that was Godfather, Cinema Paradiso, North by Northwest uh, for movies, Lonesome Dove, Casino Royale, Winter Dreams, and The Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber for books. Now we're not off the hook yet. We got to talk about some albums here. And um, I'm going to, I mean, I got to go with, with my number one, <laughs> and, and it's London Calling by The Clash. It was just an unbelievable um, late 70s album. I believe it was 1979. I'm going to look it up. But it is a big album. I mean, back in the day when you bought it on vinyl, yeah, it was December 1979. It was released in the United States in 1980. I first came across it in the fall of 82. Um, a classmate of mine who, uh, well, I won't say, I wasn't going to say his name, but I also wasn't going to say what he invented something that a lot of people on this, on this listening to this podcast used to watch on VH1. Um, but, um, he turned me on to London calling. It was a double album, which is kind of cool, but they, um, just really, uh, really great. And, and there's so many songs on there that I just adore but just really get me going. Now, you know, for my age and everything, punk rock is kind of my, my favorite music. And especially New Wave. I love New Wave and I love punk rock. I love um, the iterations of punk. And, you know, the, the Clash to me was, was, the, was the epicenter of, of great music and the meaning of their songs and the concept of what punk stood for. And I loved it. There are songs like Death or Glory um, clamp down. I mean, but it, it just depends on my mood. I mean, there's so much in there to, to just, to just sink into and really get into. And I, I, I love those songs. There's, you know, um, the, you know, one of the big singles off the album was London, the song London calling, uh, you know, it was great. I, but it wasn't, wasn't my favorite on the album. Um, there's a song called train in vain that almost everyone has heard. And it's a great song. It's kind of, it's interesting. It wasn't listed on the album. 
So you kind of had to keep listening, you know, a little tricky, being a little record kind of tricky, which I thought wasn't super cool. But it was, it's almost like a disco song. And disco meets punk and their particular brand of punk. And, and I almost wondered if they left it off the list because it was, um, you know, I haven't researched this, but because, because it wasn't really like a punk song. But, you know, it was kind of cool because it was catchy and it sounded cool. It's kind of like the song, um, like some of the Violent Femme songs, you know, that are kind of catchier and a little hook to them. And so you, you can kind of, it's like a guilty pleasure. You can sort of listen to a pop music song without, um, without, without having to admit that you're listening to like Wham or something <laughs> or, you know, Boy George or whatever. You could just be like, yeah, I'm listening to The Clash, you know. Yeah, get some, you know, punk rock. And kind of like, wow, it sounds really catchy and poppy and disco. But anyway, London Calling, great album. Definitely check out songs. Clamp Down, Death or Glory. Um, I think those are, those are some of my favorites on that. Um, next up, I... Um, I'm looking at some of the, you know, the different songs on online to see if I should mention any of the other ones. Um, oh, yeah, there's a great song called Rudy Can't Fail, which is which is really good. That's got a great, you know, the way the, that I loved about late 70s, early 80s punk, uh, especially British bands, was, you know, they did infuse a lot of reggae and that reggae, they call it raga, I think, uh, reggae beats into their songs. And so you get a lot of that hook. And I'm sure there there's a whole cultural reason for that, and and I wish I was more of a student of some of the music other than just a fan. You know, I listened to it, I I bought the albums, I'd go to shows, you know, but I you know I didn't always completely study the history of it. But anyway, Rudy can't fail, awesome song. Um, yeah, so Stones, Let It Bleed. What an incredible album. I mean, do I need to say anything more than Let It Bleed? You know, Gimme Shelter. Um, just a, a lot of great songs on that album. I love, you know, there there's so many Rolling Stones albums back in that era that I loved um, more than that in some ways. I mean, um, Sticky Fingers is, might be my favorite, but Let It Bleed is just so classic, and there's so many good songs on there that... You know, if you're going to start somewhere and um, you're building your repertoire, so to speak, uh, I, I definitely recommend Let It Bleed. And um, let me see, it was released in 1969, so I was two years old. And it's got classics, you know, um, uh, just just a lot of classics on there that... that uh, Gimme Shelter, Let It Bleed, amazing song. Midnight Rambler, it's a great one. Monkey Man, if monkey, if you listen to Monkey Man and you don't feel like going and lifting some weights or running, you know, and then of course you can't always get what you want is probably the most famous song on there. Maybe Gimme, I don't know, but great album, definitely. You know, do yourself a favor if for some reason you don't know who the Rolling Stones are or Let It Bleed. Definitely jump on that. Just put it on. Start at the beginning, track one, and listen to it. Let it just go. And tell everybody to leave you alone. Put your headphones on. Go for a walk, whatever. Drive. Um, 
So the next one that I that I want to talk about and finish up with on that is um, Beethoven's Symphony 15, which is um, it's um, string quartet, and I'm not sure exactly what um, it's called. The string quartet number 15 in A minor, op number. 132 and I'm looking at the internet to understand what op stands for and I I'm embarrassed like I feel like I should I'm letting you guys down like not knowing what if it means opus or maybe that's what it means I'll have to I'll have to look at that and do a little better next time but but this is a really cool a number of years ago I met a, a young man who worked for us for a bit and um and he we used to make um at the end of the you know our summer internships we would make our interns do presentations on whatever subject they wanted but they had to captivate us and this guy who'd been a marine veteran of the Iraq war had you know cool guy um he did his on this symphony and particular parts of it and about the the meaning of life and death with um and what it meant to beethoven and uh, and 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 how the structure it was really it was something i'd never seen or heard and it was super cool and when you listen to it, it so so it's like when you go to a museum or something and and you know you're sitting here saying i don't want to look at a bunch of paint and a bunch of angels or or you know like and stuff i don't know about but when when someone gives you context and a little bit of education on it you know just a little bit of information to help you understand what you're looking at and not in a i don't know snobby or patronizing way look down on you you need to see that this was actually written in you know lamb's blood or something you know but something that, that really kind of okay so check it out like this is what's going on there and if you can put your ego aside and say like, okay, I want to learn what that's about, it's amazing how cool some of this stuff can be. It's amazing how great masters and great works, when you really take the time to understand what's going on on the painting, it's like, oh my gosh, or poetry, or movies, or songs, you know, and you th sit and listen to something that was created, um, you know, this was created and composed, excuse me, in 1825. So, you know, we're going on 200 years here, you know, and um, that's pretty awesome. And that, that, that you could listen to something. And, and, and I may be wrong on this, but I think Beethoven had already, he was already fully deaf when he composed this. So think about that, you know, just, just how, how magical and mysterious that is. But it's Symphony Number no. Fifteen, Op in A Minor, Op Thirty One Thirty Two. Symphony Number no. Fifteen, A Minor, Op One Three Two. So, um, so there you have it. Um, a little bit of light, a little bit of like, hey, we don't always just have to pound pound our heads into the big book or beat ourselves up about, you know all of our travails, we can say like, Hey, you know, cause, and, and, and so what we say, well, Hey, this isn't a movie review podcast. This isn't a music critic podcast. Yeah. But you know what this is? This is about recovery and it's about life. It's about that one precious, wild, precious, 
awesome, singular life that you have, you know, and, you know, so, so I want to, I want to just share some of the stuff that makes my life worth living now, now that stuff that makes me smile. You know, I listen to that overture or whatever it's called, the, uh, introduction music in Cinema Paradiso. And I mean, it's just like, I just almost start crying. It's so awesome. I, I think that helps me in my recovery, you know, cause I feel so deeply. My, my emotions are so intense and, you know, managing those is tough, you know, and you don't have a bottle or a drug or some other addiction or ism to pour yourself into. So it's kind of cool. Like, Hey, get into some music, you know, listen to it really kind of feel like, what were they doing here? Is it good? Do I like it? You know, I tried to give different stuff like classic rock and punk rock and then some classical I tried to mix up the, 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 the books, Lonesome Dove, Casino Royale, Winter Dreams, Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber, and then the movies, Godfather, Cinema Paradiso, and North by Northwest. So that, um, that's a little bit of light. I think our dance is over for the evening, and thank you for letting me share this with you. Um, it gives you a little insight into who I am and how I think and how I live and how I'm trying to live my one wild and precious life. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, my higher power, help me to live my one wild and precious life as thy would have me live it, as you would have me live it. But help me to live it. Help me to be wild and precious. And help me to enjoy and love wild and precious. And help all of the people in recovery inside and outside the rooms, all those who are suffering inside and outside. God, please let them have one wild and precious life. And let them live and love that one and wild and precious life. Amen. And good evening.